If you're looking for an international school that provides quality American education at an affordable price for your child, well, Excel American Academy could be just what you're looking for. This school follows the American curriculum that's aligned with Aero guidelines and US Common Core standards. It also has a unique Pioneer Town program, an experiential learning program that gives students hands-on and real-world experience. Excel American Academy is not just for US citizens, it's for everyone. Visit xaa.edu.sg to find out more. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Growing Pains podcast brought to you by Honey Kids Asia. This podcast will delve into the deeper challenges of modern parenting and provide a safe space for parents to unravel and detangle the messy and sometimes scary world of modern parenting. My name is Ange. I'm an Aussie expat who has called Singapore home for the last nine years. I'm a mum to two boys, Xavier, who is 11, and Marcel, who is nine. In this episode of the Growing Pains podcast, we're talking to Tanju Him, Project Director of Aware Singapore's Birds and Bees program. We want to know more about sex education in Singapore. Enjoy. Hello, Ju Him. It's lovely to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Hi. First up, it would be great for our listeners to learn a little about you. Hi, Ange. I've been a long-time volunteer at AWARE and I've been doing, uh, been a program director of Birds and Bees, I think, for about five years, I think, around there. Um, otherwise, I'm a trained lawyer and trained early childhood educator and I'm also a mom to three kids. And for those listening at home, what is AWARE? It's short for the Association of Women for Action and Research, but we tend not to use the full name nowadays. Um, it's a gender equality organisation in Singapore that works towards, you know, eliminating the barriers for, for both um, men and women towards achieving their full potential. Mm. So uh, we do uh, a lot of research in, in in various issues that affect uh, gender equality. We also have a helpline and direct services, including the the first uh, sexual assault care centre in Singapore for people who experience sexual assault. There's a one-stop shop, there's a legal clinic, counselling, befriender service. Because it's so daunting for a survivor uh, to even make a report. So mm. we want to try to make the process as as. Easy. I mean, easy is a wrong in word. In a difficult and terrible in a really situation. Difficult situation. So they, you know, they don't get the run around to different places. Yeah, and we also have a um, sort of an education arm, um, community education that I'm that the Birds and Bees program and the Sex Education program are part of. Mm. And there's also a corporate training arm called Catalyze. Mm. Speaking about sex education, do you think sexuality? education is essential and perhaps by your definition what is a good comprehensive sexuality education what is what what is part of that or what does it entail can i be mischievous and turn the table and ask you as a parent as oh a mom oh my goodness yes uh, <laughs> what do you think um, you know uh, sex education should should encompass i think it needs to be honest in terms of the way in which we talk to our children about sex and about sexuality. I also think it's a conversation where we need to be active listeners and 
I think as a parent, we're always learning and that's with everything from the moment they're born. And so when it comes to sex education, I think we need to inform ourselves and learn from myself personally. I learned from from books and from listening to some podcasts and, and things like that. But we need to be able to educate ourselves and learn as well mm-hmm. and not to be afraid if we do things the wrong way. We can always try again. Oh, that's that's the perfect answer. Oh, well, say. thank you, Tick. <laughs> Um, yeah, first and foremost, I think nowadays when, when we run workshops for parents, a lot of them would say that they weren't taught uh, very well as when they were children, like the parents didn't have such conversations with them and that's why they want to do better and that's why they come for the workshop. And I think the second um, important thing you said, well, it's the first thing you said actually was honesty and, and being open to children. I think there's still a lot of misconception about sex education and unfortunately, I think the... The general ethos in Singapore is kind of almost like scaring uh, children and young people into behaving. There's a lot of talk about all the horrible things that can go wrong if you have sex. But it's it's really kind of a, almost fighting a losing battle because there's so many images, you know, in the media, even, you know, in ads on the bus stop that sell things using sex and sexuality and and sensuality. So the kids kind of go like, they're bombarded by all these messages. And yet, when they're given formal sex education, they're told that it's bad and scary. And and I think kids nowadays, because they're so well-informed, they kind of know that ah, this doesn't apply and it's not useful. And, and so they, you know, they kind of throw the whole thing away, even the useful bits. And just go, ah, this, this is just, you know, this doesn't apply to me. Um, so it's really useful as parents as well. We want to talk to our children to to be honest and open and, and acknowledge the sort of the racy, sexy, well, for one lack of a better word, the sexy aspects of it and why yeah. it's, it's it's you know, people people use it to sell everything, you know, because obviously there is, a lot of adults find pleasure in sex, right? Um, and, and that's why they use it to sell all sorts of things. Um, while also being, you know, honest about the possible repercussions. And, and so it's the whole, providing young people the whole picture and trusting that they're wise enough to make sensible decisions. Mm. I also think it's because when they are in situations that that might be really scary or or have an experience that is really negative, being able to tell a parent and feel that you can approach them is a much safer way f- for them to be able to deal with whatever happens than if they're terrified or oh, mum and dad have never talked to me about sex apart from saying don't do it. And then what happens if they do get in a situation and they they need to reach out to someone, right? You want, as a parent, you would want your child to tell you if something oh, absolutely. went wrong. Absolutely. That is the first and most fundamental um, aspect that we talk about in our workshop, Buds and Bees workshop. You know, how, how do you know that you're your kids know that they can come to you? And it's a really tough question because in a manner of speaking, there's no way of knowing for sure. No. You know, but we can we can sort of help set the environment by always being open when they ask us and by sort of not overreacting when they tell us things that happen. Mm-hmm. And it's is and I, and children are really smart. They can they can work out that oh 
oh, mom is cool when you fail your exams, but totally not cool when you talk about sex. So I'll tell her if I get a D, but I'm not saying a thing if anything else happens over that. So they can also differentiate. So, you know, how can we be open to all sorts of news and information that our kids tell us without overreacting. So that's always a work in progress. And like you said, you can always do have a do-over. Like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry I overreacted just now. I, I really didn't mean to. It's just that you caught me by surprise. I would love to hear more of what you have to say. Mm, that's a really good tip. We've just been discussing, and I know that there is a lot of conversation in the community about Singapore's, for want of a better way of describing it, lackadaisical sex education. Mm -hmm. Why is that so? And what more can be done? I think the reasons given center around that we are a conservative Asian society. Um, But I think to balance it up, we are also a very practical, fact-based, economically driven society. And for all these, all those reasons alone, you should be providing, um, you know, up-to-date, fact-based scientific, science-based information to young people because it will help them make sensible decisions because the repercussions of not doing that um, are pretty grim, you know, in, um, and it's evidenced by the number of uh, sexual assault cases that have been happening in institutes of higher learning. In some of those cases, the alleged perpetrator would have said, hey, I, I thought they agreed. I didn't know that consent they, was implied. Was implied. I, I thought we were cool. I didn't know that they didn't want to. They didn't say no. They didn't do. You know all these things, and it just it just seems such a shame for young people to have to experience that on either side of it. You know, whether as a victim survivor, of course, it's devastating, but as equally devastating as a perpetrator or even as a bystander, someone who's witnessing it. it it's it's distressing all around. Mm-hmm. And if that can be prevented to some degree by um, accurate sex education, then then it, it totally makes sense because I don't want to go in that direction, but it, since, you know, this is Singapore and everything is about economics, it has a definite economic impact as well. When, when you have a group of young people being so paralyzed and traumatized, they... They can't realise they, their full potential. Yeah, they can't mm. realise their full potential, yes. Perhaps we can take it back to probably earlier on in a in a mm-hmm. child's journey in terms of sex education. Mm-hmm. Some parents use euphemisms when explaining private parts, mm-hmm. and I've actually done this before. Uh, do you think this is detrimental and should we use the proper terms instead? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no other word for an elbow <laughs> or, a, <laughs> or your nose Oh yeah, you know. So why 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 do we do why that? Why do we yeah. have all these confusing baby terms or euphemisms mm. for for genitals and and so the child picks up that oh there's certain words that are taboo that we shouldn't be saying mm. because at some point they learn about it in in biology or even before they even when they're really young they kind of go like my friend and I refer to our, our knees our noses our eyes using the same words but we refer to certain parts of our body and we all use completely different words for it and um <clears throat> it's a very good point <laughs> <laughs> you know? and I think also for a, a safety perspective um there were there was I think a couple of high profile cases where the child was using the baby name to refer to her you know her, her genitals and 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 she was trying to tell the teacher that somebody took my cookie 
And the teacher didn't realize that she was being molested because, like I said, everybody has a different word for it, right? And then she just thought, oh, it's okay, I'll give you another big cookie. It's not, it's not a big deal. And so for a child to be able to come out and say what's happening to them, they need to be able to use um, the appropriate, you know, appropriate terms. terms. Mm. Um, yeah, and also what, what you said about how um, parents how we want children to know that parents can be trusted. If we're using all these terms, children also kind of get that, oh, mom and dad are really sensitive about this when we cannot talk to them, you know, as we go older. And it is an impression that you may think, oh, they're, they're still young, they're tiny, they're four or five, but it sticks with them as they grow up and it goes, okay, this is an area we're not going to talk to mom and dad about. Mm. How should we explain the age-old question of where babies come from to children? Depending on the age, there are lots of wonderful picture books out there that, I mean, using a really nice narrative that, you know, they, why reinvent the wheel? Just get the book and read it to a preschooler and they get a big laugh out of it and then you can have a further conversation with them from that story. And there are a lot of them with the picture books. So so the illustrations are also, you know, tastefully done. They, they illustrate without giving too much information. And and so you kind of have somebody else do the work for you. All you need to do is read the book. And as they get older, you can build on the learning. Oh, remember when we read that book, you know, um, in def- depending on your comfort level, the age of the child, you can you can do further elaborations on it. You know, oh, if you see couples dating, that's because they, some of them, they have a view to um, having children in the future. Some don't, you know, and also exploring choices, personal choices and decisions that people make and things. So there's, yeah, you, you can always kind of build on top of um, the conversations that you had. And how about puberty? When when should we be talking about puberty with our children? Uh, ideally, before they hit puberty. <laughs> I mean, yes, that would. Be- <laughs> <laughs> and 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 some some children start uh, entering puberty. I think maybe nine or ten, occasionally even younger. But you know, usually ten, eleven. So sometime before that, and. Actually, children at that age, they're a lot more comfortable talking about their bodies than tweens and teens. Casually mentioning to them about it. And a lot of children are also aware that something's happening with mom's body every month, you know, depending on how 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 close-knit. But I think generally speaking, a lot of women sort of talk about it to their friends quite openly and and children pick up on these things as well so you can start by saying that oh yeah this is what happens to mom and this will be happening to you if you're a girl at some point if you're a boy you know you will start to get wet dreams if you if you find that you wake up and you your bed's wet don't worry you you haven't peed in your bed you know you've not become a baby again it's it's something else that's happening because otherwise um especially if euphemisms were used, the child will feel like, oh my God, something's happening to my body. I, I don't feel comfortable talking to mom and dad about it. Is there something wrong with me? And and we've heard some adults kind of casually say that, yeah, I, I thought I thought that I was having a serious disease. You know, so I thought, why am I <laughs> leaking fluids out of my body? And it's not explained, you know? It's so true because it would be quite frightening, I would imagine, as, as a girl having your period for the first time if no one explained that to you. But also if you're a teen or tween boy and it would be quite scary if you hadn't been had it explained by someone that 
And it's probably mm-hmm. better that it isn't a peer, right? That it's a parent or an adult or someone that's in a position to be informed. And someone that they can go to with further questions. Because yes. um, a peer may have some information on some of the things, but how accurate the information might be or whether it's delivered in a way that you as a parent would like, mm. um, it, it all depends, right? So if you would like your child to have the information that you want them to have, the best person to deliver is you because nobody else would deliver exactly what you want in the way that you want. Mm. And I think for a lot of parents, is they kind of go like, oh, if I don't say anything, they're not going to find out. And it, it, it that really isn't the case now. You know, they use internet to to research from, you know, really young age. They have projects that they go online to, to, to you know, do research. The information is everywhere. According to a survey your organisation conducted in 2020, only half of the parents polled were comfortable talking about sex education with their kids. Why is this so? A lot of them, I guess, are uncomfortable with it because they don't know what to say. Yes. Um, I think a lot of people and parents, they have the misconception that it's the talk. We need to be, we need to have all our facts and, and all everything ready. And it's we, a big moment. It's a big moment. <laughs> um, and they don't realize that casual conver- conversations from young, you know, like about, you know, body autonomy, like you're the boss of your body. You can say no to people touching your body. That is already part of sex education. They sort of think that is this big thing, or sometimes have this misconception is like, I don't want to be talking about sex to my kids, they're too young. Sex education is not really about talking about sexual activity and the sex acts, it's about everything else around it. Mm. First and foremost, consent. Yes. You know, body autonomy for young kids, which is in a form of is a form of consent, right? If if you don't agree, nobody can nobody should be touching you. You know, and it's not just the genitals or private parts, even your back, you know. Um, some because sometimes, you know, inappropriate touching or more or less is not really in the genitals. It's it's the thigh, it's the knee, it's the back. And that person feels really uncomfortable and creeped up by it, but it goes, Oh, but this is not my genitals, so maybe it's okay. But no, it's not. Any part of your body that you don't feel comfortable with, you 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 can say stop it if you're not in a position to run to a, um, go to a trusted adult and say, hey, this is happening, you know, and, and role-playing with children about what you can do in certain situations, who else are trusted adults you can go to. So all, there's all this, it's all, all sex ed. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of um, a misconception about it. A, a second really big misconception is that some parents feel that uh, talking about uh, sex will encourage children to do it. To have sex. To have sex. Mm. Uh, and when you sort of flip the question around and you ask parents like, um, what do you hope your child will do in the area of sex? And they'll go, oh, only have sex when they're mature, when they're ready or when they're married or what, whatever later and always practice safer sex and all that. And that's exactly what a good sex comprehensive sexuality education program would achieve. Mm. And it's been well documented by lots of different uh, people like the United Nations uh, Technical Guidance on Sexuality Education. It lists all these uh, benefits and the different different organizations, different countries have done research. So it's a pretty robust uh, research that says that if you provide a good sexuality education in their, their 
more likely to statistically they they have the first sexual encounter later, practice much safer sex, have fewer sexual partners, mm-hmm. and will seek medical help if if they need it. So I think in some ways this whole topic has just been shrouded in in silence. And and when things are in, in the in the shadow, there's a lot of misinformation that 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 continues. And so we we really tried to sort of bring this evidence out there to say, hey, it, you know, it, it actually achieves what, what you want them to achieve. You're listening to the Honey Kids podcast, Growing Pains. I'm your host, Ange Neo. One of the main purposes of education is to equip our children for the future. And this is something that Excel World Academy strongly believes in. This IB school has everything your child needs to succeed, from a world-class curriculum, highly experienced teachers, to a future-oriented approach to education. All these, coupled with a diverse and tight-knit school community, equips your child with the skills and exposure essential for the jobs of tomorrow. So check out Excel World Academy, the school of the future, at xwa.edu.sg today. There are certain topics that parents may deem sensitive or irrelevant for their children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the topics that come to mind are premarital sex, teen pregnancy, abortion. How can parents broach these topics with their kids? Or should they? Well, it's happening in, you, you don't know what's happening in your child's life by the time they're 18. You know, kids experience all some aspect of all this from from their their peers, their friends. You know, there are a lot of kids who know, maybe not an immediate friend, but they know somebody who knows somebody who did this, and it's whispered. Yes. Uh, and 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 when it's like I said, when it's kind of in the shadows, it, it, the whispers grow, and, and things can get really out of shape. You know, like um, Chinese whispers. What ends up it may be a complete distortion of of what was the the, the facts. So and. And also there's so much of it in the media that kids consume. Especially mm-hmm. nowadays, most children have access to Netflix or and, and well, YouTube even. And they're watching things that they may not fully understand. So if you're not totally comfortable with talking about it, just like off the bat, like, hey, have a seat, let's talk about abortion, right? Watch shows with them. You know, find out what, what they like to watch. Sit down and watch a few episodes with them or suggest something, a topic that you want to talk to them about and, and then and then weave it into the conversation, post-show con- you know, conversation, even during the show, like, hey, why did he do that? Why, why, why do you think she did that? Would you do the same thing if you were him or her? And, and have a conversation about that. And again, with something like premarital sex and abortion, because there is already so much shame and stigma in society attached to it. You're, if you don't have a conversation with their child, they're going to assume that this off-limits and taboo. Mm. It has been referenced that, uh, you know, the typical stance in Singapore mm-hmm. for premarital sex is abstinence. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is helpful? Well, again, as, as I keep going back to the, from the media and their peers, they, they, they know people who are having sex at young mm. ages, you know, as teenagers and all that. So if all the messages from the official channels are getting is about abstinence, it's not really that useful. And I think something about, you know, telling a child to abstain from something sounds like a deprivation. Mm. Why, why not reframe it by saying, talking about the relationship you hope your child will have 
in a loving, trusting relationship and one where they don't feel pressure to 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 do one thing or the other either way and and so if you present it to them that way it's it's a much more positive message is one of of connection of hope of of love mm-hmm. whatever uh, values you have uh, around those topics rather than than sort of oh abstinence um you know uh, it, that that word itself has so many sort of you know, connotations attached to it. Mm. How about in terms of contraception? Because of course, if if we're teaching abstinence, we're also not educating teens on contraception. Mm-hmm. How do we introduce contraception when we're balancing that with the answer to the last question? I think it goes hand in hand with uh, a healthy, loving, connected relationship. Mm-hmm. You You want a relationship where both partners are safe. Um, and so having safer sex through the use of contraception. And in Singapore, generally, it's the only readily available contraception that can uh, protect against STIs is the condom. So so to, to sort of talk about, and it's freely available in, in supermarkets, pharmacies, um, everywhere. It's not that the child has not seen. No, I'm sure they see them. Yeah. Yeah. It, so, so just kind of like talking about, you know, like, oh, by the way, you know, you see, you see those packets together with the with the chocolates, or I mean, depending on where they put them, is like oh, it's kind of off to one side. You see those packets, and this is what they are, and this is what they're for. And like I said, talking about it doesn't encourage um, children to to try it. If it's presented matter-of-factly, in fact, it sometimes it has the effect of um, making it less less of a curiosity that they're not like yearning to find out it's like oh okay it's no big deal mom talks about it and sometimes in the you know when a child is in 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 the phase where they're trying to differentiate and individuate something that mom or dad has talked about is totally uncool right oh my god that's so uncool oh, no. okay fine i got it it's fine it's cool i'm not going to go there till i'm good and ready because you know mom and dad already talked about it and uh, Okay, <laughs> you know, it's not something that that demystifying demystif- demystifies mm. it, and it's not something they want to do to get attention, even if it's negative attention, or whatever. You kind of cut out all those other psychological aspects. Mm. What should everyone know about sexually transmitted diseases and infections? Um, that is transmitted through bodily fluids. Um, usually through sexual activity and it's not just intercourse right um, because you can get certain um, STIs through kissing mm. um, as well as some even through skin contact right and I think in some ways the, the COVID pandemic has been useful because it's a useful analogy you you wear masks to prevent spreading the virus to people close to you so then you you use contraception when you're having sex and it's not this horrible scary thing a lot of a lot of the STIs are treatable um, if if caught early and it's an infection like like COVID that it can be spread so this is how you, these are what the things you can do to to prevent the spread. And it may not be 100% as with the vaccines and the mask, people still catch it and sometimes you catch it. And if you do, you know, there's medication and, and you know, treatment for it. And I think for for young, younger um, teenagers, that's maybe all that they need to know. You know, there's a lot of other technical um, information about 
virus, spread by virus, spread by bacteria, all that, which we do cover in some of our workshops. But <laughs> but as a parent, you know, just saying that to to take away the stigma and shame surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Because you never know where, even if it's not your child, maybe a child's close friend, somebody else a child knows, and your child then is able to also provide the information to them. Or not feel like, oh, this has happened. We got to keep it a secret from adults because my parents told me it's this big, bad, horrible thing and uh, you should never talk about it. Consent and sexual assault are big topics to explain when we're talking to our children. How does one go about doing this without it being too scary? Actually, schools and preschools, they're kind of doing some aspect of it, but mm. it's focused on stranger danger still. Okay. Um, you know, f- from what I hear, I think kids are still told to be careful when they go out, to be careful of strangers and, and all that. And and so it's being talked about, but maybe also not in the most accurate way because um, nine out of ten sexual assaults is committed by somebody known to the person. So, so the, you know, warning kids about stranger dangers, kind of warning them about... 10% of 10%. the opportunities where something might happen to them. That's right. Yeah. And and so because so much focus is on, on, on strangers, the children themselves may not know that, oh, if if a neighbor does it, if uncle or if my brother's friend does something to me, then this is bad because, oh, I know that person. So that's not, that's not assault. That's not rape because it was done by someone known to them. So I think sometimes... We also have to be a little bit um, more sensitive to the messages that are given to children. So since this is being talked about, you know, it can also be talked about in a more positive way from body autonomy. You know, you have the right to decide what, who, who can touch your body and some areas is never okay and some areas is not okay if you don't feel comfortable. And, and so the flip side is go tell a trusted adult. So you don't have to describe or talk too much about sexual assault. You kind of talk about what you're comfortable with and what you do the moment you're not comfortable, Mm. right? And sometimes it's also to check in with the child like, oh, you know, you went to so-and-so's house. Was everything okay? Were you happy about it? So you can have a happy conversation Mm. um, to to try to find out, you know, whether everything is fine with your child rather than warning them or about the risk of sexual assault, if you see what I mean. Yes. So you yeah, can yeah. definitely focus on the positive. Mm. And if the child feels safe and comfortable and everything looks right, then chances are everything's fine and they know how they also have the tools to say, okay, I, if I if I go to my friend's house, who who is a trusted adult there and don't have access to a phone, can I call mom or dad if anything goes wrong? And they're at least more well prepared. Mm. Now that Section 377A has been officially repealed, do you think it's time to revise sexuality education to touch more topics, so gender, sexual orientation, and coming out? For sure, because it was always needed and and because it was, I think sex education itself was already in the shadows and this is a, in the shadow of a shadow, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's really hard for uh, people who identify as LGBTQ+, to get accurate information and they may not know that it's still sexual assault if it's perpetrated by someone of the same sex and things like that. So there's so much. And then also the whole area of consent. 
because it's presented in such a heteronormative way, they may assume that, oh, it doesn't apply to me because I'm not straight uh, and, and things like that. So it's definitely needed. And, and also there's a risk that there could be more overt bullying as well because this is out in the open and they may experience yeah, more covert or overt bullying and, and more uh, that they're probably more at risk of mental health issues at this point. So definitely it's it's it would be good to to talk more about it because a young person is a young person. So you want to protect every young person and give them the information and the tools so that they can keep themselves safe. And and also from the aspect of mental health as well, that's that's also really important. And maybe also to talk about it in a way that reduces the stigma and the bullying. Mm. Because I think, unfortunately, a lot of the rhetoric from, from different areas in the last few months seems to be such that it, it might be perceived as encouraging more stigmatization and bullying. And you're putting you know, young, young people's health at risk, health and mental health at risk. Mm. Can you walk us through your sex ed declassified program? what it's about, and how does it complement the Birds and the Bees program that we've talked about already? Um, Birds and Bees is mainly for parents on how to talk to their children and usually sort of tweens, teens, about, mm. about relationships and sex and consent, most importantly. So Sex Ed Declassified is a website for teens and older teens to um, find the information um, themselves about um, a whole whole host of uh, different topics, as, you know, but also there's a lot about consent. In some ways, it sort of, it picks up where the Birds and Bees is for up to like teens and then beyond that, the teens themselves, they can, can go look for more specific information because it's not a site that gives information. We had assessed different websites, existing websites, and found that the information on those websites are generally accurate and true and science-based. And so the young people can go and sometimes they have a more technical question that they need, they, they want the answers to. And parents may not have this. Or Be they can, equipped to answer equipped it. To answer yeah. it. Or they, and if the parents are open, they can sit down with their child and go through this information together and have a you know, discussion about it as well. Mm. And then what other resources can parents use to facilitate sex, sexuality, education with their children? Um, as I mentioned, a lot of books, uh, picture mm. books um, about where babies come from. There are a lot of other books and um, or even just any work of fiction, a book or a movie. You can use it to talk about relationships, whether it's a healthy or unhealthy relationship, whether there are red flags there that suggest it might tip over into being an abusive relationship. And if you catch it earlier, you save yourself a lot of grief and pain. Um, so that, you know, Almost anything can be can be used as a conversation, you know, starter on this topic. And um, there are also specific books on, on puberty and, and also a lot of resources online about consent. And I think some of these resources are in um, Sex Ed Declassified as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the websites will, will have resources for parents with uh, younger children or teens and you, you can use that as a launching pad to start having a conversation. We talk a lot about, in this conversation, about how parents can talk to their children about mm-hmm. sex. Is it really important that it's 
both parents, if there are two parents that are, are, are parenting that family? Is it really important, for instance, if we're in a heteronormative family situation for mum and dad to both be having these conversations? Or is it okay if it's, you know, mum's more comfortable talking about those things? Or do you really encourage the whole family to be behind the conversation? Well, of course it helps if both parents are totally. involved. Because yes. you get two perspectives yes. and you you get a, a wider range. And, mm. and, and then the child knows that this topic it's okay in the whole family. Yeah. If only one parent talks to them about it, they start to think, oh, the other parent is not involved in this conversation and I can't approach them to talk about this topic. And whether or not that's true, that often becomes the perception. Yeah. If one parent does more of the talking and the other parent comes and says something completely contradictory, then that's again... That's not helpful. That's not helpful. <laughs> and then, you know, how how you can have a conversation about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, but if one parent is feeling really really uncomfortable and squeamish about it. Well, having at least one parent talk about it is... Well, it's better, better than nothing. Better yeah. none at all. And maybe just being present for the conversation is a starting point for a parent who's really uncomfortable about being part of the conversation. It is. But then I would, I would say, be careful about your body language. What, yes. What vibe you're giving <laughs> off to your child, you know. If it's a really disapproving vibe, then the child also gets a message. All of right, course. You know. To be avoided at all costs with this with this parent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I just want to go back to your previous question. I've, and I, I realized I forgot to also to uh, mention the um, Singapore Children's Society has a really good resource for uh, for parents on good touch, bad touch, safe mm. and unsafe touches as well. So, and they have a little booklet and they have a program and they, I, they got to preschools with a program. So it really helps equip young children um, with the tools that I mentioned earlier. Mm. Yeah. I know that your Birds and Bees program is a workshop specifically Mm -hmm. for parents. Mm -hmm. Can you give us three reasons why parents should attend this program? Well, first and foremost, as we discussed earlier, is you think about how you can be a more askable parent. Askable so that, you know, your child can come and ask you any awkward questions or questions that are unsure that they, they don't have anybody else to go to. And how do you create the atmosphere of being askable? You know, so there's that. And then we talk about uh, improving, you know, communication with children on, on all these topics on sex, uh, consent and relationships. And also we have definite tips, concrete tips about how to start talking about consent. Mm-hmm. Um you know, using case studies, scenarios, and and um, and role playing as well. Yeah. Juhim, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such an informative chat. I'm definitely going to use the right words for genitals going forward. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Juhim, for our chat today. I am now joined by our podcast producer, Suf, to chat a little about today's episode. Hey, Suf. Hi. So, big episode today. Yes. What have you learned? What have you taken away from the conversation? I think um, in Singapore, when you talk about sex, as mentioned, it's not something anyone wants to talk about, especially parents, even though they say that they should be doing that with their kids. I think um, the mindset is that outside of mine but it's a very important topic to talk about and you know, the earlier that they know then kids will be able to understand and also set boundaries in terms of 
what they're comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with. So this has been a very eye-opening episode. How about your sex education, Sue? Oh. <laughs> what was it like? It was terrible. So that was in the early 2000s. So it's not as informed as today where during my time, they only showed a video of a woman giving birth. And then that's it. There wasn't any explanation. It was all done in class. And then that's all. Wow. Yeah. It's like a science lesson, if I were to remember. And then that's it. We didn't talk about it at all. So if you're talking about sex education in schools, I'm always disappointed. <laughs> I've written about it and I said that it's such a disappointing time. Okay, Ange, enough about me. What about Xavier and Marcel? Have you had the talk with them? We have. A l- we have. We've talked a lot ever since they were quite young mm. about our bodies and how babies are made and also about sex and they have those conversations as well at school. Mm. Uh, but I would say for everyone listening, I found, and particularly what Juhim said as well, books are really helpful for parents because mm. it helps guide the conversation. It can make it a little funny, informative, and also quite light. And there's a book that I use to chat to the boys. It's called The Amazing True Story of How Babies Are Made. Uh, and it's by a cartoonist called Fiona Katsukis. I'd really recommend that book. You can get it on Amazon all over the place because it was really informative. It talked about different types of families and mm. how babies are made, not just in the traditional way, but also IVF and same-sex couples, as well as kind of identifying what our bodies are like and all of those things. So I'd really recommend that book. It was great I in our conversation. I should get that book too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode of Growing Pains. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Sophie, the chat just now. Thank you, Ange. And we will see you next time. Bye.